everyone. Welcome to Decoded. My name is Sydney Lai. And in this podcast series, I often like to talk about the next generation of developers. The idea and the concept behind creating this podcast is understanding how we build as developers and what's coming for us in terms of tooling, in terms of technology, and really the changing landscape of developers themselves, ourselves. And I think that we have really reached this inflection point, this inflection point of how we as engineers build and learn how to build. And this inflection point, I feel like we've really seen as in the migration of online virtual events due to the pandemic or online or virtual events when it comes to really having this connectivity beyond just offline events. And so in today's episode, I really just want to focus today's conversation on learning and building in public. So for today, we're not going to go into specific case studies or technical architecture or a very specific technical podcast as we typically do with other engineers. Today, I had invited someone who is a Gen Z, who is a builder of internet communities, internet memes, a Twitch streamer, and how we as developers learn in public. And this growing appetite of learning in public and learning by watching this form of voyeurism. And I think this also really came about from just the way I naturally learn as well. So the tooling that I use is the OutSystems IDE. And this this platform works really, really well on building applications that can scale for the enterprise or the yeah, the enterprise level, right? And you can build web applications and mobile applications. But the thing is, I am a solo developer and I build on a one-on-one basis. I am a solo developer when I'm learning, right? I'm not learning necessarily in a huge class. I am learning by myself, sometimes with colleagues, sometimes with peer mentors, whatever that may look like. And the best way that I've learned is actually by building a lot of consumer or fun projects. So that could be this parody dating app that I made. I've built a rocket launcher. I've built an NFT wallet, all of this through the Systems IDE. And when I showcase a lot of the ways I build, I can be showing a technical demo at a hackathon or on a YouTube video. It's also mirroring what the next generation of developers, how they learn, right? It's like how they want to learn. So I think with that, I really am excited just to go through this really focused lens of how do we as developers learn in public? How do we teach in public? And really the value of this peer-to-peer education and really an extension of how developer teams and developer tools are able to reach this next generation of developers. So let's dive into this convo with Ali Diamond. Welcome, welcome to Decoded. So I want to say so glad to have you here. You are a developer advocate from New Relic. And I really wanted to have this conversation with you because I pulled you in after seeing your Twitch streams. And so I think today I'd love to hear your experience going through learning in public as a developer. Yeah, yeah. I guess I should ask, what do you want to start with? What really brought you in? I think it's, there's this, dis, how do I say this? I don't know if the disconnect is the right word, but what I'm thinking is 
usually when we think of developers, you think of, okay, they learn at a university, they learn at a boot camp, or it's that imagery, that imagery of, hey, we're in the basement, we're making some sort of project. It's a very solo experience. And oftentimes when you work in teams or at a startup, you who are a founder of a startup, sometimes you don't know what the devs are doing. That's this like magical witchcraft. And you're like, okay, I just got to trust the system. This is not something I can manage. Uh, go build this, do it and come back. Right. And so when I saw you going through your experience, learning, teaching, it was very almost unapologetic. It wasn't squeaky clean, right? It wasn't like, Hey guys, I am an instructor at General Assembly. Here is bullet one, bullet two, bullet three. You went about it in a very personable way. So I guess I'd like to learn, like, how did you get to that aspect, especially since you do have an engineering background from MIT, which is incredibly impressive. Let's go through that. Yeah. So how did I get to where I am with Twitch streaming and doing it super personable? Because... I always want to be my authentic self, especially online. I was recently talking with some friends and they were like, Ali, your Twitter persona is like really cool, but like kind of scary. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, they're like, yeah, it's just like so cool. And you just seem so unapproachable. When we meet you, you're like so different. And I'm like, I don't know where you get that from because my Twitter is completely unhinged and is extremely curated chaos. And I feel like that comes out a lot in my Twitch stream. I have a lot of friends I know who do Twitch streaming. A lot of my coworkers do it too. It was like originally part of our job. And they do come in with like a almost a lesson plan. And I think that's kind of what was originally expected of me when I got hired to do Twitch streaming. But that's just not the way that I run. I guess having ADHD, it's like... I don't want to have to follow a lesson plan. I want to, especially to maximize absorption, I want to go where I want to go. So there's no fun in just showing up and being like, okay, like here's this book, let's go through it. Like together, I do tend to do that a lot, but I allow myself to roam. People can tell when you're not being authentic on the internet. It's really obvious now, and especially on Twitch. Like Twitch is the one platform where you can't not be your authentic self. And so that's kind of why I approach in the way of like, let's just hit the ground running, turn on the camera and see what happens. I've also seen there's, when you're talking about this authentic self, I've also seen a lot of companies move onto Twitch. You have AWS, they have a Twitch stream. You have, I'm pretty sure MongoDB does. MongoDB has a Twitch stream. You have, in this example, you have developer advocates from New Relic. You have other large or notable, uh, Twilio, I'm pretty sure Twilio has a Twitch stream, right? So you have a lot of these companies moving on. And I think that this public facing experience of learning as a developer is, is really coming front and center. So what are your thoughts in terms of a lot of these companies now moving onto Twitch and developers also moving onto Twitch? And uh, before, I mean, Twitch was really for gaming. And then how did this adoption of developers using Twitch as a learning platform really begin from your perspective? Yeah. I'm First of all, I want to bring up AWS as a really specific example, very closely related to me because one of my friends was kind of like starting that whole initiative at AWS and it wasn't necessarily kind of like what I do where it's just organic learning, but it was a lot more of a curated 
experience from what I understood. And a lot of these companies are doing extremely curated experiences. So whether that's having practices where people come on, they practice what they're going to say, basically making it a formal presentation, almost a weekly keynote in a way, versus what I've been doing and what many of my other teammates are doing and a lot of the people in the live coding groups on Twitch do. It's a lot more organic. It's working on what you work on at work. It's less curated, more whatever we want. And when it came to, I think the pandemic really like broke this whole thing out to say that there wasn't live coding happening on Twitch beforehand would be a lie. But with the pandemic, there was not as many conferences. Conferences were moved online. People were looking for opportunities to see coding in action or just have something in the background to add white noise to their workday. And I kind of get on my personal audience a mixture of both people who are actively engaged and a lot of people who are just white noise, just listening in the background. So from my perspective, it's kind of like people were looking to take that online interactive experience or that in-person interactive experience from conferences and move it online and see what they can see online without having to put themselves at risk due to COVID. Yeah. And when you see this changing face of learning, how has this really differed from your experience doing a software engineering degree from a traditional setting, from a collegiate setting, right? I think there's a lot of conversations nowadays of where should or where are developers coming from? Is it from universities? Is it from boot camp? Is it from self-taught, which is a lot of also this learning in public aspect? Yeah. As we've touched on, I do come from a traditional engineering education background. But personally, one of the things that I've always talked about coming from a traditional engineering background, and I learned through the hackathon scene, I learned through meeting with other developers from all different walks of life, is that the education that you get from a traditional engineering background is not the education, is not the tools and skill set that you're going to actively use in a job. You're learning how to think and how to approach problems, but you're not necessarily learning like, how do I set up a Kubernetes cluster? And like, what does that look like? Instead, you're thinking about a much higher picture of technology and computers and software as a whole. And so when it comes to being in public and learning these things, I actually kind of like to take the stance of like, hey, yeah, I do have this traditional education background. And yeah, there's some clout that comes with it. But just because I have this doesn't mean that I'm a better engineer than you, doesn't mean that I know more than you. You can see exactly just how level the playing field is for anyone coming from any different background. And that's kind of why I love doing this live on Twitch and coding live on Twitch, because I get to be a representative to be like, hey, this is the reality of things, as well as be an advocate for people from all different walks of life, whether they went to a traditional education or their boot camp or self-taught. It's like, it's not that you need this special education. It's just that you need the drive and motivation. And that's why I'm super excited with this learning in public. And I think that 
what you've really hit on is this experience that some developers go through. May it be with imposter syndrome or a fear of demoing in public. Uh, don't get me wrong. I've seen a lot of great, really, really great developers, uh, 10 plus years more experience than I do. And sometimes they're even afraid to demo uh, do a technical demo live in public online in Twitch because what if something fails? What if something combusts? It happens, right? I mean, we work on these applications. Sometimes we'll get stuck on a bug for five hours and you're like, I don't know what's, I don't know why this is happening. It just doesn't look great. So I think oftentimes we really, really want to show our best foot forward. I mean, even like on a dating app, right? But I think that in this case of learning in public, is there an appetite for learning in public? What do you think is this? Is there now more of a demand of developers wanting more of that authentic narrative of learning how to program or watching or learning by watching how you program? Uh, I definitely do. And I wouldn't even say that Twitch is kind of the start of this. I would say that this was even more on Twitter. I've seen so many people blow up by being on Twitter, asking questions, making mistakes publicly, and literally learning in public. So it's just taking that experience from Twitter and putting online the appetite is there. People are excited for it. And just people just don't know where to look, I guess. And so that's kind of a struggle I was recently thinking about is like getting my name out there almost as a way to be like, hey, you probably didn't know this thing is happening, but it is. So that's kind of why I've been pushing Twitter as my own personal platform because I've been doing a lot of learning in public on Twitch and then taking it onto Twitter. A lot of times you'll see me on Twitter being like, hey, if you're a pro in this specific thing, like you should come on my Twitch stream right now because we're asking questions and usually people will like show up and answer questions and they didn't even know that this was happening. Yeah. And do you think that there is a difference in the audience between the developers on Twitch or the developers on Twitter? I think there's this common question from many angles, where are the developers living? Where do they exist? Is it on Stack Overflow? How are the nuances different behind all of these various developer communities as well? Yeah, there is definitely a difference between Twitch and Twitter. Twitch is an extremely supportive platform. Like I've literally at one point like gone on Twitch at midnight and I was just, I just sat down and I was super defeated by this problem I was working on. And I turn on my Twitch platform. It's literally midnight. And I just get an audience of people and I'm just talking to them like, hey, you know, this is like super infuriating for me because I know I have this like pretentious background, but at the same time, it's so hard for me to feel like I can ask questions and I don't really know what to do. And just went on this whole spiel about like why I felt super inadequate trying to problem solve this one thing I was working on. And then instead of like talking about it on Twitter, I just posted like, hey, if you know JavaScript, join me on my Twitch right now. We're going through this problem. And just people on Twitter, on Twitch are just so excited to be there to help. You definitely get that a lot on Twitter too, but there's something about the active and live feedback of being able to immediately have a conversation instead of waiting for DMs to reload and awkwardly sharing screen caps on a Twitter thread to just being like, here's my code, let's go through it. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's this huge aspect that is said for where you, it's essentially peer programming, right? It's it's about learning together. And I think oftentimes we think of engineers as ability to learn by themselves, but there's actually a huge piece where we have to learn together. And, and almost there is a beauty 
behind the stereotype that we are these genius creators. But then there's also this pressure that that means we have to do it alone or that we have to be perfect every single time. And that really avoids the ability for us to ask questions or uh, for us to make mistakes or just saying, hey, I don't know this. I'm stuck. Can someone help? Because I, you know, I can't, I just can't see it. And then someone points out and you're like, oh yes, of course. How did I not see that? Right. As an example. That's happened to me so many times. And at first it was really hard for me to get over like not being perfect in public in a way because I have this monster on my back that's like, you have achieved these things. Why can't you do this? But Twitch has given me confidence to just be able to go and be like, I don't know how to do this thing. Y'all are way smarter than me and you like helping me anyways. So like, here's what we're working on. Let's do this together. And just bugs always end up into like really funny situations. And I really try and make sure that my Twitch audience is super engaged in the way that I do it. Like, even if I'm not coding, I literally will be like writing blog posts on my Twitch stream. And at one point I was writing this blog post and and people in my Twitch stream were like, you should say it this way. And I was like, that's way better than any other way I would have said it. And I literally credited my Twitch stream, like people in my Twitch stream on this blog post because of the way that they like wrote it. And I'm, I want to give credit where credit is due. So it's like, even if you're like writing in public, like doing art, they're there to like help you in a way. They're just excited to help you. And, and I hope that I give them the help that they need back. Yeah. And I think it's all about this community aspect, right? People, companies, everything in between always ask, what does it look like to have this experience of community building? And you've really nailed it in the sense of it's really about self, excuse me, supporting each other. It's really about supporting each other and learning together. And I think that again, as developer advocates, we are there to teach. However, sometimes we also need to learn at the same time. It's really hard to nail down every single aspect. I mean, a huge misconception is hey, you're an engineer, can you make this mobile app? It's like, no, those are mobile developers. That's different, right? And and sometimes there's even that disconnect of like, not all engineers are the same. Different engineers have different verticalizations, so on and so forth. And I think that as we, as engineers also start to become developer advocates or evangelists or content creators, influencers, whatever you want to call it, there is this shift into the public eye and, and a lot of companies have been doing this, right? Twilio, as always, we talk about Twilio as being kind of like the godfather of, of creating developer advocates. I think technically before that, it was technically Apple with their first tech evangelist in like 1992 or something like that, right? So I think that companies really got a hold of how do we incorporate education in development or education in the acquisition of developers, acquisition of that attention. And so in this era of developer advocacy, as engineers, we've also moved on to different platforms as any human has entered to any uh, platforms, into any platforms. And I think that there is sometimes, and I'd love to hear your perspective, just from, from my perspective, some devs enjoy being in the public eye because it's part of it's just part of the learning process. It's kind of you explain. Some are very reluctant to go into the public eye because a huge part is security. And so as you currently work as a developer advocate in, at New Relic, specifically in observability, ooh, and, and observability. monitoring. Observability. 
There we go. And monitoring. And then also your own pursuit and security. How have you started to verticalize into security and or monitoring both on a personal level, both on a business level, anywhere from learning in public and being a developer in a public sense, because you are educating other devs. I, I know those were kind of like lots of topics. They're all kind of interwoven, but yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. So in regards to like stepping further and deeper into a specific category, especially when learning in public, you just got to keep doing it. Honestly, just keep doing that one category in public. And then it just kind of becomes synonymous to you. Like, I started off doing a lot of security-related things on Twitch because that's something that's always been super interesting to me. And so people started coming to me because they saw that I was doing different security, like, educational programs on my Twitch, like, taking notes on security, reading about it, talking about things that were happening at the moment, and sort of making that part of my community and just repeatedly doing those different things. One of the things that you said that I kind of wanted to touch on was devs being in public and devs not being in public and the security and stepping into these more deeper ideas publicly. It's not always about security. I'll contrast you with that. Some people just, it's just not part of their personality. They just don't want eyes on them when they're working. They just want to write their code, heads down, work fast, go home and live their life. And that's a totally reasonable thing. For me, for example, I have always loved social media. It's been a huge part of my growing up. I didn't have friends in high school. I had YouTubers. I didn't have like a lot of, I was always online. I'm extremely online. I was on Tumblr before it was like big. Instagram, just really being active online and making friends that way. My closest friends have always been through online communities. And literally my roommate now is someone I met through an online community. So being active in on the internet has just always been in my lifeblood in a way. And some people just aren't keen on that. Some people, even DevRels, some DevRels just want to create content that isn't necessarily them doing it live, go to conferences and that's it. And that's a totally reasonable thing. And stepping into like the security aspect of this role, it's knowing and understanding what you're getting yourself into and understanding that by becoming a public figure, you do kind of become a target. So making sure that you're extra cautious about the things that you're doing. And that's part of my education and my like philosophy of DevRel is take everything and give it a security spin. Because my content focus is mostly on novices and beginners because that's the way that I feel I am. I also take my content and start from a security aspect of, okay, you're learning this thing, but how do you do it right with security in mind? Because a lot of DevRels that I find don't really give a complete picture of what, how to do things securely. So they, when people are being self-taught or learning on their own, they do things and they make their security team have a harder time. They make things, the lives of their security teams harder and the company harder because they're not implementing code safely and they don't learn how to implement code safely. And so that's kind of the approach that I take from DevRel, whether that is in becoming a public figure, which I, for my whole team, I was like, here's everything you need to do to keep yourself secure, follow these steps. And then on the other hand, when I talk about content, I think about it from a security perspective. When you had just mentioned that it's not necessarily 
some people just don't want to be in the public eye. And you're absolutely right. That That's actually a huge point about temperament. And when you talked about also, um, when you talked about just uh, building communities, both either in the physical world or online, I think that if I remember back in the day, a lot of the ways we became early adopters of the internet, I'm talking about like late nineties, early two thousands. Okay. At least from, from my generation is going on to like Yahoo groups, uh, Neopets, you know, a lot of this stuff. And, and because you're constantly exposed to this tooling, such as a computer, you start to create other things just for context. Do you identify in the Gen Z bucket or in the millennial bucket? Yes. Both. Yes. Wow. That's really fascinating. What does it mean to be in both? Because I gave you a one or, and you said yes to both. So I was like, okay, so you identify as both. So what is that aspect like? And I, and I asked this question because, because again, I think we're at a inflection point in engineering and the democratization of developer education. And as we're talking about this inflection point, I think that there's an appetite for different types of ways we learn. And again, of course, you and I both have engineering friends, colleagues, mentors who are significantly in different age brackets, right? Different age ranges. So when you say yes to both, what does that mean? And and how does that play into how you are as a developer as well? Yeah. I say yes to both because I am one, but I identify mostly with the other. So by definition, I am a millennial. By culture and attitude and likes and the way that I carry myself, I have been told I am more Gen Z than Gen Z's himself. And that's like a very, that's like such a weird statement, I know, but like I've literally been told by people that like, they're like, why are you more like Gen Z than me? And I'm like, I don't know. And I think that has to do with just the how much time I literally spend on the internet. Like the internet is like, it's an addiction. I know I'm addicted to the internet and it's a problem. But I managed to keep up a lot with the trends such that allow me to kind of be between both. I mean, in my whole life, I've been held to millennial standards, both from like just the way that I was meant to enter the world, whether that was like through education or job, the nuclear family, that whole shebang. But I find myself identifying more with the younger audiences and the younger generations and the way that they live their life. And now you see these younger generations, they don't really go to school as much anymore. They're being self-taught. They're jumping into industry early because they know what they want. And like to be able to support that and just have friends and have fun like that, I just, it's just, it's all fun and games, you know? I don't really care where I sit in regards to like identifying as either or, I know that I identify, I know that I am one, but it doesn't really matter that people call me one or the other. But I guess it's just more about me understanding what both like and what both are experiencing and what that means and who the popular figures are and what's trending and what's going down. Also middle part gang. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. I did notice the middle part. If you can see, I still have my side swoop. It's been going strong for God knows how long now at this point. And I think this also goes back to when we're looking at the workforce now, there are, to your point, Gen Z knows when they're entering the workforce. They're now in the workforce, right? There are people who in college and they're doing internships. They're right after college and they're having their first job as an example. So there is just from a timeline shift, more Gen Z in the workforce. And with that, 
as Gen Z is entering the workforce, as they are the literally the next generation of developers, there is this different appetite in terms of how they want to learn and consume. And I think for a very long time, especially just from my own perspective of having worked in developer tooling and developer education for a long time, the way we run these companies, we run these educations is like, okay, this is how we're going to send you newsletters. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And it's like, hey, actually, your audience is changing. Like, what is a newsletter? I don't know, just as an example, right? I mean, there's still Substack, right? So some people still read Substack. But from the like traditional ways, maybe, I don't know, maybe someone who is a Gen Z developer isn't going to be like, this sounds like a great MailChimp newsletter. Let me just go click on that and put my email in there. They're never going to check their emails right? As an example, because why? I mean, maybe they just have inbox. I mean, they just have inboxes now. Like they can't, their email is the Twitter inbox as an example. So I think that there is this shift towards not just the way we are producing education or we as developer tools are teaching other devs, but, but it really comes down to, Hey, these other devs as next generation developers, they have their own ways of how they want to learn. And so to your point, they rather learn on Twitch. And and you're absolutely right. A lot of the other developer advocates that I'm kind of thinking in the back of my mind, those who are definitely in the Gen Z bucket, I've connected with them through either Twitch or Twitter. That's essentially. And then what do I do? I just eventually migrate them into an inbox email because I'm old, right? So that's that's kind of the example there. Yeah. One of the things that I personally push for is I know that the next generation of developers are Gen Z. We all know that it's happening. It's here. How can we prepare companies to start catering for those markets? Gen Zs are making startups worth billions of dollars now. Remember, just a few years ago, it was millennials making companies worth hundreds of millions of dollars. Companies were advertising and making their products socialized for millennial intake, how are you going to get into the younger audience? And not saying let's advertise products to the younger audience in a predatory way. I'm saying how can you make it more relatable for them to understand? There's a reason why you're seeing companies now posting more memes on their Twitter than just corporate articles because they know that it's coming. There's a shift coming in the way that companies communicate with their audiences and how do you make your product more approachable? It is not about how you sell the product now, it's how you communicate the product. Sales is about getting developers to use the product. It's not about getting the executives to tell developers to do the product and get it out there on their own. People are taking more steps into building products more than ever before and building projects to learn. So how do you get your company to be on the front of the mind of these younger developers as the things they they can use? You have to make your company more relatable. And I, I personally love that because one of the things that I find is less serious is better now. It's not about formality. It's not about here's this blog post that was written by one of our developers on this thing. It's like, hey, yo, like you don't get this and neither do we. So we spent some time looking into it and this is what we got and making it more relatable and understandable. It's less hotty totty. It's more approachable. The business suit is dead for a reason. You don't see that as general attire. It's get the work done. It's not get the work done and be held to this 
standard just because you're being held to the standard. It's do you get your work done? Yes or no? Okay, cool. Do what you need to do. Dude, I am totally cracking up right now. My headphones are falling off just because I'm violently shaking my head yes. And I have to agree that I think the way, and, and correct me if I'm overgeneralizing, I, I'll say that the way I like to learn is through building really fun projects. A lot of the developer tools that we use on a daily basis, they can be scaled to the enterprise level. They can be taken and implemented to be used on very, very large real world examples. However, as a developer, I don't have that access to build a, if we have a client that's a car company. It's like, I don't have a fleet of 50 million cars, but if I can make one little project where it's like, I can do a peer-to-peer ride-sharing app, that's pretty cool. And it's like, okay, that was awesome, right? So I think, I think that there is this narrative of this explorative educational consumer level And sometimes it doesn't necessarily connect on the big level of like, hey, we are a big tech company. You can use this for a $50 billion account. But we as that one solo dev, it's like we don't have a 50 billion. I've got like five bucks in the bank, you know. Okay, well, we're a developer. So maybe we have 50 bucks in the bank, right? So I think the point that I'm trying to say is like, it's really just to echo your, well, my point is really to echo your point, which is there is now this personalization or personable approach to learning as a developer. And I think this, again, goes back to your point of learning in public as a developer is is really this next move for companies. And there's a reason why companies are picking up developer advocates or even like the guy who sells the grill, Foreman Grills, something like you could just hear sell a grill or I guess you get some Ryan Reynolds. Ryan, okay, I'm I'm tangenting. Ryan Reynolds, he sells, you know what company he's invested in? Aviation Gin. Aviation? I thought it was that. Aviation? He's Wait, is it that? Hold on. Well, there's possibly that, but there's also like Mint, Mint the wireless company. So it's Ryan Reynolds selling the wireless company rather than a random person at a wireless company and be like, hey, boys and girls, come and buy this very cost affordable service provider, like cell phone, cellular phone service provider, right? So I was right. It is aviation, Jen. I only know this because if you remember when the Peloton ad came out and they're like, wow, that was kind of weird. Why would you do that? As like the Christmas gift, he hired the girl and had her do another advertisement with them where she, where she was with her friends and they're just like, listen, it's going to be okay. Just like drink this. Like that it's going to be fine. It was a so- great funny. That, it was a great tactic. That is so funny. That is absolutely hilarious because not only were they able to interweave those two commercials and there was just such backlash, they've actually spun it to make it really hilarious. And and I think what you were talking about is companies allowing more room to have memeability or advertising through memes. Ryan Reynolds is the perfect example. I'm sure he makes a lot of money as an actor, but I think he actually makes a lot of money from corporate. He's basically a dev advocate. I mean, he's whatever advocate of whatever sorts, he's essentially that, right? He gets paid a lot of money from a lot of different companies, including Mint, including God knows what, and to advertise a lot of these products. But his unfair advantage or his unique proposition is that all of his corporate advertisements that he does, absolutely hilarious. They're just a giant meme. And you want to see it. You want to you want to be engaged, right? And so 
I guess I'm curious off the top of your head, have there been any projects that you've built again, fun projects, whatever it is that you felt like has either resonated with people because we, we just talked about, it's no longer about showcasing large enterprise integrations. It's now it's like, Hey, here's this really whatever build, come and learn this. Yeah. A project that I've worked on or a project that other people have done? Uh, yeah, you yourself, if, if there was a project you wanted to highlight or... I have a project that I've been on and off working on that involves utilizing monitoring to monitor the temperature of my laptop to figure out how long and what I need to run on my laptop in order to cook an egg on my computer. Uh, that is... <laughs> I'm going to cry. That's I have so many questions. I, I know exactly who I'm thinking about and she knows exactly that I'm thinking about her because her fan is so damn loud. You can actually turn this into a technical documentation. I will have a one-on-one -on -one meeting with her and then we will cook eggs on her laptop because, the, okay, so tell us, you're absolutely right. If you're building this with New Relic, now I actually want to build it because I would like to also fry an egg on her laptop or my laptop. So please tell us more. Yeah, I was just trying to think of ridiculous ways to use my computer. When I was originally Twitch streaming on my Mac, um, specifically, I now use a separate computer. When I was Twitch streaming on my Mac, I was like, ooh, this is really warm. Why is it so warm? And I love cooking, I love food. And I was like, I know that if you cook an egg sous vide, you can cook it at a low enough temperature to properly cook through. And technically eggs are able to be consumed at all stages. So even if it wasn't fully cooked through, that's fine. But I'm not promoting eating raw eggs. Make sure you do your research on it. But I was like, okay, at what temperature do eggs cook at? And turns out, I believe it's around 60 degrees Celsius. That's when they start to, like the proteins start to cook properly, I believe. But then I was looking into this and I was like talking with one of my friends who, an app, who was an Apple engineer. And he mentioned that Apple computers cap out at, I believe, 99 degrees Celsius internally. And that's just internally. So at what point and what temperature does the external get to? So I was like, let's see and let's figure this out. I'm still working on this project. It's still underway because I ended up like overcomplicating it. There's like a Raspberry Pi involved and all these different things. And I was soldering. But I was like, I mean, like, why not? It'd be funny. Yeah, that is absolutely that is absolutely the perfect case. I think that do you happen to remember um instructables.com? I do. Instructables. Yeah. 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 That seems like something I would totally find on an instructables. And it's like, yes, let me get the GitHub repo. Let me build this Raspberry Pi. Let me integrate this into my let's monitor the heat of and then just like try to cook an egg on this like like I'm, I'm touching my MacBook right now, this like nice silvery hot part of the laptop. And you would put that on Twitter, Dev2, whatever. You're going to have so many devs be like, yes. And this is brought to you by New Relic, right? Like as an example, I could totally see that. And uh, I think that there's time and time and again, there's a, lo a lot of other projects who have gone through that route as well, who has gone through that route. And I think where we are now is really, again, this, this is kind of circling this all back, which is there's many changing faces of education, of developer advocacy. And I think that in this inflection point, more so than ever, it's really about loosening the tie and allowing you to be as casual and informal because that is the way people enjoy learning. And so from your perspective, what are some of the 
steps to take or recommendations you would give for those who are looking to learn in public, to teach in public, really providing a different option than just your traditional boot camp, college, et cetera? Yeah. I mean, if you're learning in public, just in general, if you're a developer, get on Twitter. Twitter is where everyone is. And I tell this to everyone, basically, like, if there is a developer that you look up to, DM them on Twitter. They're probably on Twitter and they probably have their DMs open. And developers love to help. Start doing things like 100 days of code and start publishing what projects you're working on and showing off what you're doing and interacting with other people that are also learning in public. I think I am... I don't know if this blog post is out yet, but on my personal blog, I wrote all about, actually it is out on my personal blog, blog.ally.dev. I wrote all about how to utilize Twitter as a developer. I would definitely check that post out because it tells you how to find people to follow, how to engage, how to build a following almost, but how to start finding developers that you would want to interact with and sort of once you get there and you find developers that are interesting, start interacting with their DMs and start or start interacting on their tweets and start publishing what you're working on. Say, hey, I'm doing this thing. Start Twitch streaming, start making content about it, write blog posts. Even if you in one week made like one change to a project or one small step, write a blog post about it. It's just a small thing and share it out to the world so that people can know what you're doing. That is learning in public. Wow, that was incredibly beautifully said. I am really excited to read this article that you have. So, uh, you know, as we're wrapping up, what I'm going to do is I'm going to make sure that we include the blog posts and where you taught how folks can get started in learning in public. I'll make sure to also include your Twitch and your Twitter below. Ali Diamond, thank you so much for joining today. I'm super excited to see how you continually be building. Yeah, thank you for having me. Wow, what an episode. I thought this was an absolutely needed conversation, just hyper-focused on understanding the landscape of learning in the developer educational phase, but specifically learning in public, right? So this is a hyper-focused conversation on learning in public. And if you are a developer hanging out in Dev Twitter, do feel free to reach out. You have my handle below. What I'll say is it's really understanding this developer landscape, do you align with this? Do you also agree that this is where the conversation and the way we learn is headed towards, which is this public display of education, this public display of learning and tripping and failing and awarding each other by this, in a way, peer-to-peer mentorship, but it's, it's no different than the past, but it's definitely a new format. So again, you can reach out to me, Sydney Lai, S-Y-D, N-E-Y, L-A-I on Twitter. And it's very straightforward. I welcome any of your thoughts. I'd love to really hear from you all so that I can continue building a content and platform and education piece that really resonates with you. So with that said, thanks so much for joining. I will see you in the next episode.